Amen. Well, it's great to be here with you on this frigid morning in January, and uh, love being able to get after worshiping with you guys in so many different ways. And man, as we dig into His Word now, as we're learning a little bit more of what it looks like to walk with our God, right? This series that we launched here in January, Summit Walk, Summit Walk, what does it mean to experience my living God, and then how do I go about each step of each day, making that very decisive, clear moment of stepping into my God's glory. May it be all about Him. And we're trying to figure out along our journey, Lord, how do I adjust the little steps so that my walk is with you in a constant worshiping way? And uh, so we're in the book of James as we're walking through this. And uh, James has over 50 imperatives, over 50 commands within it. It speaks a lot to the little details of life and making sure you get those nailed down so that God gets all the glory. So do me a favor. Turn with me, if you will, to James chapter 1. Uh, we're going to be starting in verse 19 today. James chapter 1, starting in verse 19. And uh, this series is all about learning to step around the potholes, if you will. Right, And so the first week was stepping around trials and making sure that it doesn't take us down. The next week, stepping around temptations, making sure that doesn't tear us down. Now, this week is stepping around being a hearer only, stepping around what comes so easily and naturally is just to kind of listen for a little bit and then check out. And may we not be that. And all of God's people said... Right, And so as we go through it here today, walking through God's word, man, as we go through the word each week and each day in our own lives doing devotions, may God get all the glory as we don't just be a hearer, but we also follow through. Lord, we long for you to be lifted up. So how do we go about doing this? First step, listen first and be slow on unleashing your feelings. Listen first and be slow on unleashing your feelings. And uh, we'll start out here as we start to read. It says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. He says, Know this. Now there's two different words in the original language in the Greek for the word to know. One is experience this. That's not this word. The other one is, make sure you have this in your noggin. Make sure you grasp this fact. Know this. Grasp it, have it, understand it, so you can then act on it. Know this. Have this in your noggin, if you will. My beloved brothers. So he's talking to those who are saved. Everybody just say saved. Right? He's writing to all those who are saved. We see that in verse 1 as he says, to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad greeting. He's writing to the Jewish believers who were pressed down because of their faith in Christ, persecuted, and so they scattered. And he's writing to those believers. He says, know this, keep this in mind, grasp this. Let every person, how many? Let every one of you be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Quick to listen. Make sure that you use your ears well. Quick to hear. Literally, seek first to understand, 
then to be understood. Seek first to understand, then to be understood. I'm telling you, so often when you get into a disagreement or a thought about something, you want them to know what you think. Let me make it clear where I stand, right? And we're seeking first to speak. Everybody say that's a terrible plan. It really is. Best to be a learner. Best to be saying, Lord, what do I need to know? Best to be able to say, okay, where are you at with this? Let me hear from you. What are your thoughts on this? And as you're talking with human beings, other people, best to say, what's your thought in this area? But my word, when we're talking to God, how true. Lord, I long to hear from you. What are your thoughts on this? Seek first to understand and then to be understood. Be quick to hear. And then it says, slow to speak. Slow to speak. Notice it doesn't say, never speak. It doesn't say, I already said, it doesn't say that. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say never speak, never have a thought or an opinion. But man, make sure you aren't quick to make sure everybody knows your opinion. Right? I want to make sure you hear what I think before I even know what you think. It's a terrible plan. And quick to hear, slow to speak is an awesome combination. You will find that so often it brings down the disagreements. So often it resolves conflict as you just say, okay, okay, what do I need to hear? When it comes to walking with your God, so often it brings clarity because you are missing something and God is not. And Lord, what do I need to hear from you? And Quick to hear and slow to speak. Have you ever heard this statement? We have two ears and one mouth. Use it in that ratio, right? Have you ever heard that? It's just two ears. Man, listen more. Speak a little less. Be actively listening. And uh, by the way, listening quick to hear doesn't mean let the sounds of their voice hit your eardrum while you are processing what you are going to say next to smoke them. We all get that's not quick to hear, right? As you're sitting there hearing them, their words pound on you and you're like, I'm so going to get after that and I'm going to say this next and then I'm going to say this and then when they give a little gap of time, you're like, I'm on it. Like that's not what we're talking about. This is a make sure you're really saying, what do I need to understand? What do I need to hear? And so much so when you come to your God and you're coming to the word, Lord, what do I need to know and understand? I long to hear from you. And all of God's people said, huge deal. May we be quick to hear, slow to speak. And then it says, and slow to anger. Or in some of your translations, slow to wrath. This is not the word. There are two words for this word, for anger or wrath here. One of them means this big emotional outburst, big explosiveness, this almost uncontrolled rage, right? It's not that word. This is a word that's more about taking a position or a stance where you are dissatisfied with something that is going on in some way. It's a deep dissatisfaction with either something that's perceived as harmful or just straight out wrong. You've got this kind of underlying position that is built in that says, I'm not good with that. Right? And, and you're standing against what is harmful or sinful. That's what's being talked about here. 
this, this anger within, this deep understanding and emotion within that agrees with the harmful, sinful. And that word is a little bit different than just wild explosiveness, I'm not getting my way, right? And a harmful and sinful and taking this position against it. You know, anger comes out in us in uh, many different ways. But honestly, you could probably categorize it into three. And so I just wrote these down real quickly. Uh, just real quick, uh, three different expressions of anger. First, there's passive-aggressive. This is where I have this deep seething inside that is so harmful or that is so wrong. But I'm not going to say anything about it. I'm going to use my actions or maybe my lack of action to make my point. I'm going to let you know I'm upset by not saying things in certain ways, shapes, or forms. Maybe my procrastination is going to be what speaks. It's my lack of action and my lack of very clear wording to it that makes it passive-aggressive. I'm silent, I'm sulking, I'm avoiding. That's an anger that's beginning to go very selfish sideways. Like, I'm afraid of confrontation, but I'm really ticked off. Passive-aggressive. It has a lot of fear of confrontation in it, all right? Here's the second one. Passive-aggressive, the first. Second one, hostile. This is where you're hot. This is where it's coming out. You're loud. You're forceful. You're accusing. Maybe even cutting with your words or name-calling. You're getting hot. It's starting to come out of you. You're now stepping in. The first one is, I won't step in. The second one is, you're doggone right, I'm stepping in. Right? And it's hot. And it's firm. And it's making it clear that you're not good with it. Passive aggressive and hostile. Uh, by the way, just so we're super clear, neither of those is good. Okay? And now the third one, uh, biblically assertive. Biblically assertive. Or if you want to say it, godly anger. Biblically assertive. This is the one where you have a proper target on the sin, not the person. You're trying to go after what's wrong. You're not trying to just hurt the person. This is where you're listening first. You're fully understanding the situation. You're addressing with self-control. You're calm in the midst. You're listening well, but you're going to lean on what's wrong. You're not trying to hurt the person in it. You're willing at all times to forgive. Willing at all times to forgive. Ephesians 4.26, it says, Be ye angry and sin not. I love the King James translation of that. Be angry and sin not. Like the reality. It, have this understanding of harmful and hurtful. That's fine. But only biblically assertive in how you come out with it. Listening well. Grasping where they stand. Patient in the midst. Willing to forgive. Not trying to tear the person down. Just going after what's wrong. Biblically assertive. This is who Jesus was. Jesus was able to handle all of his anger and bring it in a biblically assertive fashion. The rest of us tend to fall into categories one and two most of the time, and category three comes uh, rarely. And so Ephesians 4 says, hey, be angry and don't sin. You, there is such a thing as anger that is properly expressed. But let me tell you, usually we don't land in it. Usually we land all over ourselves and we're either steaming and being quiet or we're going way too hot in the midst of it. In fact, so much so that he says here, um, 
Be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Why? For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. James is like, I'm not pulling a punch. You usually don't do pretty well at this. Watch your anger. Be careful. It doesn't produce the righteousness of God. Rarely does us yelling at someone else get them more godly. Us yelling at somebody else gets them yelling back, right? It doesn't produce righteousness. We're trying to control the situation and we would long for it to adjust. And somehow in our mind, even though we know that every day for the entirety of our lives, it has never worked to raise our voice and yell it, we do it. Or, or for us to just kind of step back and steam Passive-aggressive, fold the arms. I'm not going to say anything. They better read between the lines and figure it out. This is not cool. Like that, it doesn't work. It doesn't, the other person doesn't all of a sudden go, I'm such a wretched sinner, I'm wrong. They say, you're such a wretched sinner. You're wrong. Right, stop coming at me this way. It's too offensive. And uh, the anger, man, the reality is it doesn't bring the righteousness of God doesn't bring it in them and it doesn't bring it in us. It doesn't get it done. And be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Now the reality is I could just say, amen, let's close in prayer. <laughs> That's a lot of load to take on and go home with. And it's a ton. And he's got a lot that goes along with it to begin to explain how to manage some of it and how to think and see some victory in. So we're going to keep moving here, but I recognize that is a lot of load right there. Lord God, please help me to manage my mouth. Lord, may I please manage my heart and my emotions and my anger. May I care for others and may I honor you and all of God's people said, all right. It says, therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. Put away all the stuff both inside and outside. The filthiness, all the wrong thinking and wrong wanting inside. And the rampant wickedness, all the stuff on your hands and feet that's wrong. The outside behaviors. Get rid of the outside sinfulness and the inside sinfulness. And receive with meekness the implanted word. Receive with meekness God's word pouring into your soul. Be willing to receive. Everybody say receive. Receive God's word to your soul. As he speaks in, here's where you need to go. The implanted word, it's when you're taking time in devotions or time here in a Sunday service and you're hearing God's word, you're looking at God's word, you're processing where you're at and you're like, I so need to see some adjust in this area, God, please forgive me. And it begins to be settling into your soul. This is truth from God. Implanted word. Lord, may I respond to it. May I understand the value of it. It says, which is able to save your souls. It leads us from, it's all about me, selfishness, where I'm not saved, right? The implanted word shows me the value of Jesus Christ. I step in, I'm worshiping him with all I've got. Now all of a sudden, I believe in Jesus. He's risen. I celebrate Jesus. He is God Almighty. He is my Lord, and I'm saved. The word of God brings salvation. And all of God's people said, salvation, but more and sanctification. 
Lord, may I long to hear from you on a regular basis, the implanted word in my soul. Please hear me, we can't have the implanted word if we're never hearing. If we're never taking time in God's word, uh, throughout the week, if your devotional time is zero, it's time to make it some. It's time to get alone with your God and get into a passage and just read a little bit. And if you're the kind of person that's like, if I'm not reading four chapters, then it's not devotions, here's my request. Bring it down some. And read a little bit that you can be able to get your arms around and say, Lord, what do I need to hear from this today? Who are you and what needs to change in me? May God get all the glory. I'm telling you, a basic little walk in the word where you get the implanted word in your soul and the spirit speaking starts doing amazing things in your life. May God get the glory. So, you know, about six months back, uh, thereabouts, uh, we as a family decided, all right, I decided that, that that was it. I was done paying for cable TV. We cut the cord. We're like, that's it. We're done. So uh, we cut the cord. We switched. I actually switched over, and uh, we went with uh, another organization. I won't start naming organizations in here. But we went with an organization that gave us a nice high-speed uh, data for internet, and then we just put an antenna on the TV. And, uh, you know, you can get a, an antenna for 20, 30 bucks, and, uh, and it, works, it works okay most of the time. <laughs> and uh, the only time I really watch TV anymore really is watching football. I love watching football uh, during the fall, and, and so I'm watching football. Like, we get home after the 11 o'clock service before the 4.30, and I'm watching football, and every once in a while, you just get a phenomenal picture, and everything's great, and there's no breakage in it, and I'm watching that and enjoying it. Most of the time, it was a little more like, you know, right as the guy is reaching out for this unbelievable 35-yard pass, and it's just about to touch his hands, it goes, oh, 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 oh. what a play! And you're like, play it again! What happened? You know, and John is always saying to me, how can you listen to that as the volume is breaking in and out, right? With HD, with the high-definition TV, it just kind of breaks in and out all the time, and it's not like the old analog stuff, and a little rough to listen to, got to be honest. And uh, when the reception is a little terrible, man, it just does not get it done. I'm telling you, our listening is so much like that broken antenna stuff. The reality is we are listening to people where half the time they say something, it makes us think of something, and we just check out. They're talking, and we're like thinking of something else, whatever it is. Half of you just started smiling, right, when I said that. You're like, so guilty of this, right? And the other half that aren't smiling are like, they are so guilty of this, right? And, and the reality is you just start checking out. You're not listening anymore. It's done. Words are hitting your ears, whatever. When that's done, you'll have something to say. It may be a complete topic change. You couldn't care less. This is where I'm at. And you just start sharing out. May we be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. When it comes to working with other people, now imagine with our God. As we get alone with our God, and so fast we stop listening to what he has to say. Honestly, we sort of believe that God needs our help running this universe. I mean, if you could, had to take a quiz about it, you'd be like, oh no, he doesn't need any help. He's got it all down, right? But the reality is every time we get with him, we're like, have you seen what's going on, God? Like, are you good with this? Why are, you so, why are you not letting, what are you going to do with, like he needs our input to get it right. 
Lord, what's going on? What's your thought? I long to sit at your feet. You're in charge. And all of God's people said, may we listen well. May we get our antenna receiving well, and may we receive with all we've got. Simple question, how are you doing with your reception when it comes to listening to God? Right? Point number two, live a life of follow-through. Live a life of follow-through, doing what you hear. Live a life of follow-through, doing what you hear. Now, we just got done talking about receiving the implanted word, right? Receive. Everybody say receive. He just got done saying receive the implanted word. Now he starts out, but. Now, usually when you see the word but, it's like a direct contradiction. It's like, not that, now something else. Here he's saying, look, I know I said receive it, but let me be clear about what I mean by receive it. I'm going to be really crystal clear of what receiving looks like. He says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only. He's like, let me make this clear. I don't mean receive it like you just sit and listen to it, but it doesn't ever affect you. Not that. Be doers of the word. Respond to it. Right? May it actually affect your steps. May there be a practical application to what we go through. Have you ever noticed that around here? We always talk about the practical application. So, so what? So what am I going to do about that? So how does my worship shift in that? Lord God, may you get the glory. Practical application. Man, this is exactly what we go after in our impact groups. As we walk through our impact groups, they are actually going through a study and questions that are based back to the sermon from the week before. And as we walk through those questions and figure out where we're at at the end of it, it's applicational accountability. So what are we going to do about this now as we go forward? Our impact groups are not giant support groups where all we do each week is just say, so what are you struggling with? I'm struggling with the same thing. Well, great. I'll pray for that again. And that's all we do. That's not it. We sit down each week to digging into God's word and looking back at how it's tied to the sermon from Sunday and saying, what do I need to go after because of this? Applicational accountability. Let's be doers of the word and not hearers only. May God get all the glory. He says, let's be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving your own self. Did you know that? That if you're like a regular attender to showing up and listening to what's said on Sundays, but then throughout the rest of the week, there's never any time in the word, and quite frankly, there's never any change in this body, soul, or mind, and you're not looking to go after it in any way. It's just hearing. You get used to saying, I'm doing okay. I mean, I'm at church all the time. Doing good, you know? I'm listening well. And uh, he's like, be careful. You're deceiving yourself into thinking things are going well when in fact you're drifting off. Don't just listen. Be a doer. Have some follow through. Think of a golf swing for those of you who love sports. Think of a golf swing. If you hit the ball and you stop right there, dude, that ball's all over the place. Follow through with it. Man, what you hear needs to lead through to what you do. So I'll just say this. Um, why don't we do what we hear? Why don't we follow through? Here's four words I put down for why. Why don't we do what we hear? Number one, doubt. Doubt. 
I don't know, man. I'm not sure if that's true. Right? We hear something and we're like, I, I, I'm not sure I'm good with it. I, I'd have to wrestle with that more. I am not sure that that's really what God's doing here. Doubt. And, uh, honestly, if we doubt, we're going to have a very hard time following through on action in what we're hearing. And uh, here's another one. Denial. Uh, way worse than doubt, right? Doubt's like, I don't, know, I don't know, man. I'm not sure. Denial. No. I do not agree with that. I will not go there. I am not going to be that. I am not going to go after that in my life. Or you don't know how bad my hurt is. I will not set it down. No. Denial. I am refusing that truth. Reasons we don't do what we hear. One is doubt. I'm just not sure. One is denial. I refuse that truth. No. Here's another one. Drift often can hit the church that's well-trained in Scripture. Drift. This is where you hear it. You don't doubt on it. You agree. You don't deny it. You're absolutely in with it. But as you come out of your uh, devotions in the morning and you close the door on that devotional room, whatever it is, as you turn to walk away, you instantly start thinking, what does my day have? Where am I going? What am I going after? What am I going to manage? What am I going to control? What do I have to say to them? Why are they doing that? I need them to come over here. Will you please do this for me? Stop doing that. I need you to do this. Here's what I think should be done. And as much as we start asserting ourselves into the day, we drift away from everything we just took in. The reality is you need to keep coming back to the question, so what am I going to do about this today, Lord, what I just read? So what am I, like we hear today, you know, maybe it's, I, I need to be slower to speak. Lord, all day long, no matter where I'm at, I am going to listen more. I am going to listen more. Lord, please help me throughout the day to recognize where I'm not doing this. And now all day long becomes a little bit of a, a journey, a homework assignment. Uh, there's times where you're walking along, you're going to have a lot more talk with your God. As you're walking along, and it's not going well, and you realize you just blurted out stuff you know you shouldn't have, and you're like, I know, I know, I got it, God. I understand that I completely missed that. I know, I know. Please forgive me. And all of a sudden, you're having conversation with your God throughout the day based on the devotion you were going through that morning or for that week. And you're like, Lord God, I long to see this different in me. Make it an active, ongoing conversation with your King. And all of God's people said, and I'm telling you, drift is often so insidious because you feel like you're getting on really good things and you're trying to manage them, but you're letting go of things that need to be changing in your soul. Drift. And then here's the last one. Um, sinful desires. Sinful desires. You know, you can read, you can pray, you can listen to as many podcasts on sermons as you want. The reality is if you keep going back to a sin and visiting it and visiting it and visiting it, the reality is there's not going to be transformation in other areas of your life. You're going to be so taken by that sin that you're not going to be able to hand over other stuff. And man, I'm telling you, sinful desires given their uh, full root in your life, they'll tear you up. And it'll tear you away. Why don't we do things that we hear from God's word? Well, we doubt it. 
Or maybe we just outright deny it. Or maybe we stopped looking at it and focusing on it and we drifted. Or maybe we're actually allowing ourselves to just be steeped in some sinful desire and we're stuck. And that's where we're at. There's not a lot of other choices. How are you doing with doing? How are you doing with following through with God's word and making sure it's making an impact in your soul? Which one of these four are you wrestling with? Really kind of pick it out. Are you more a doubter or a denier or a drifter or are you steeped in the sin? And get ready to hand that over to your God and say, Lord, I'm ready to hear from you. You're in charge. All right? For just a listener, we deceive our own selves. It says, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and he goes away and at once he forgets what he was like. You're like a guy who checks himself in the mirror in the morning and never looks again. You know, where you walk up to the mirror and you're like, ah, good enough. And you move on. And then you never really remember. What is it? Are you, is your shirt buttoned the right way or did you miss a button? Have you ever gone through half your day buttoned up the wrong way? And then you start wondering, what kind of friends do I have? Where nobody's like, dude, you might want to go check yourself. Right? Like the reality we check ourselves so quickly in a mirror and then walk away. And then the reality is you're not checking again. And so you're looking back and thinking to what it may have looked like at, at seven in the morning, but you're not knowing what it looks like right now and completely missing the here and now feedback. Lord, what needs to change in me right now? How do you do at laying yourself before your God in self-evaluation and hearing from him. Half the problem with the hearing and doing responding is at some level we don't want to admit that we have things that need to be worked on. Like, I'm fine. I don't want to make any changes. And, and so we don't look in the mirror. If you don't want to comb your hair, you usually don't look in the mirror, right? And he's like, be careful with all of it. The reality is you're like a guy who checked himself in the mirror once in the morning and never looked again. It's not going well for that guy. And uh, he's going to have some things a little bit out of line. It says, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being, not a, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. He's like, so let me say this again. The one who looks into the perfect law, right, everybody say perfect, Without error, he's now talking about Old Testament and New Testament, the Bible, and there is no error in that. In its original writings, no error. In what was recorded, not wrong in any way, shape, or form. No error. The perfect law. He's talking about what uh, Jesus Christ was able to completely live correctly and that every one of us cannot. The Old Testament law. Christ lived that out to the full and he ends up fulfilling what we cannot. Him living that perfectly and then dying on the cross and rising again, he becomes our hope to replace what we owe. And then he moves into all the New Testament detailing and he's able to live all that out to perfection as well. 
And he's able to bring to us the hope and the understanding of what we need. They're like, what are the two greatest commandments? And he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. Man, if you want to go after it, what does it look like? Loving God and loving others. And making sure that we're beginning to grasp that. Making sure that we're grasping, laying it out there on the line for a God who has poured it into our lives. The perfect law, going after scripture, I just wrote this down. A law that clearly measures, a king that perfectly meets, and a sacrifice that perfectly covers. That's our hope. A law that perfectly and clearly measures, a king that perfectly meets, and a sacrifice that completely covers. That is our hope in Jesus Christ. His life and death completely covering what we owe. And all of God's people said, man, may we worship Jesus Christ. He is King of kings. He is Lord of lords. He gets it. He lived it. We've missed it. And now he says, so go back and check it like a mirror, getting back to this book that leads and guides so clearly to the law of liberty. It brings salvation so rich and free. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Freedom. That we might have eternity with Jesus Christ. Please hear me. As James is hammering through the look at what it looks like to begin to follow through on what you hear. Please hear me. He is not saying earn your salvation. We're going to talk more about that in just a second. That's not what he's saying. Everybody say, not that. He's saying, as you have salvation from the king, give him a thank you offering. Celebrate him and give it back to him with good works. It says, if he perseveres, being not a hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. There's going to be sweet blessing in following through with him. Man, as you begin to grasp what God's word is challenging you on, to take a step out, just one step and say, Lord, I'm going to faithfully trust you. Just one step in one area. And what would it look like for today? Just one step, God, for me to step out with you. Just one step of doing with you to say, I love you. I worship you. You are my God. Please hear what I just said. You're not saying, all right, I'll do good works. Please save me. You're not doing good to be saved. It is Jesus Christ alone that is our hope. Faith in him saves. Our good works are a thank you offering back. You are amazing for what you did. Let me give a little bit back to you. That's what he's calling us to here. May God get the glory. That said, I want to make this really clear. He's saying let's be a doer of the word, not just a hearer only. And all too often we can very quickly get the wrong approach. Like, I heard it. Now I just go do it. And uh, you're like, yeah, that's what it says. Be a hearer, so now go do it. And the problem with it is you're going to get stuck trying to force your broken self to act differently. And you're going to get very frustrated with it. So we've talked about this a couple times before. Let's just throw this transformation triangle up here, all right? And uh, we're going to talk this through for a second. Let's make sure we understand where we're at and what we're talking about. This triangle is what worship looks like. We start at the bottom left. Encounter God in his word. Right? The implanted word, if you want to call it that. The perfect law 
as in this scripture. Twice over he calls it that. Encounter your God. Who is he? What is he like? What is he about? What needs to change in me? God, I long to worship you. Encounter your God. Okay? Now, the next step is people would jump from encounter over to engage. Let's, I heard it. Let's do it. And here's the problem with that. Okay? So if you've been around here for a while, you've seen this before. This is my sin imagery, right? Every time I pull up the yellow ball, here comes sin talk, right? So here's the reality. I'm sitting here, I encounter God, and I'm like, all right, Lord, it needs to change. I need to see this reducing and changing in my life. Here we go. I'm going to do it. I got it. I'm going to muscle this thing closed, man. I know it needs to change, so there you go. Done. And you're shaking, and you can barely hold it together. And as soon as you let go of it, it just goes right back. This is what it looks like if you read a Bible and just go try to fake the next step and make it look like you actually got it. I read it, so I tried to do it. It's not just crimp down on it. This last six, seven, maybe eight weeks, and uh, at the most, maybe a day, maybe a minute. And as you let go of it, it just starts going right back. Have you ever experienced this? where you're battling something to change and it just keeps coming back. Why? Because we're muscling it instead of laying it before our God. The right journey is not to just jump to trying to squeeze it down. It's actually a supernatural moment where God starts cutting it to a smaller and smaller ball. That's the miracle work. How does that happen? Well, if you look at the picture here, it's you go from encounter up to exalt. You go from encounter to exalt. I have read about you, God, and I have seen who you are, and you are amazing. I am worshiping you. Exalt your king. Worship your God. All of this coming from 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 16 through 18, where it says that as you behold the glory of, the, of God Almighty, of the Lord, his glory pouring over you will change you one degree of glory to the next. Literally, you are getting before God saying, you are awesome, beholding him. You are stunning. Thank you, God, for who you are. And then, Lord, please forgive me. Whatever needs to go here, I'm laying it down. You're in charge. That worship starts bringing the Holy Spirit glory on you, and it will start changing your soul. Are you hearing me? Everybody listen, man. There's a lot of hope in this statement. It is not you forcing it. It is God's glory changing it in you as you come before him and worship him. Maybe there's an area of control you've got a problem on, so you come before God saying, Lord, I have studied you being in charge, and I worship you, the God who's in charge. And I'm celebrating the God who never makes mistake. And as you learn to trust him more, he begins to cut that sin down more and more in your life. The job is not you going, okay, Lord, I saw I'm supposed to look like something, so I'm just gonna do this. The job is instead to say, Lord God, I'm holding this before you and I'm worshiping you, and he does supernatural surgery as he reduces the size of this ball one degree at a time. And all of God's people said, and from that, you now step to engaging, doing the word. Lord, doing a miracle work in your soul, you following through and saying, Lord, thank you for this change. I'm worshiping you all the more. As he changes your heart, you become more a doer. 
Don't walk out of here today saying, I got to muscle it. I got to fake it. It's not it. It's saying, Lord, I got to worship you more. I got to be in your presence more. I've got to thank you more, and I've got to confess to you more. By the way, did you notice when I was talking about the exalt element, what did I say happened there? You saying, thank you, God. You're awesome, God. I praise you, God. And then, Lord, please forgive me. Have you ever noticed that at the end of every service, that's exactly what we do in our prayer time? Thank you, God. You're awesome, God. I praise you, Lord. And Lord, please forgive me what needs to go. We are walking this triangle every week in this church service, encountering our God and then exalting our God. And then we're going out into this world saying, Lord, I'm ready to be engaging with you. And all of God's people said, so how are you doing with the transformation triangle? Are you ready to become an exalter so that God can lead you to becoming an engager, a doer for his glory, all right? And now number three, live a true worship before your God, self-controlled and compassionate. Live a true worship before your God, self-controlled and compassionate. He says, if anyone thinks he is religious, Can we just be clear? That word is usually used in a very negative tone. And uh, James is actually trying to take it captive and use it to the positive. But honestly, most of the time, it's only used four times in Scripture, and it's actually used to the negative two of those four. The other two where it's used positively is by James right here in this verse. He's trying to take it over and say, look, it's not wrong to have your life being cleaned up, but please hear me. Stop trying to earn something with it. Right? Religious where it earns you something. Bad plan. Where you're actually trying to clean things up and say, God, I'm giving this to you. May it be for your glory. Good plan. All right? Lord, I'm longing to be a doer. He says, if any of you thinks he is religious, if any of you thinks he's pious, if any of you thinks he's got the outside behaviors nailed down, if any of you think you've got the outside behaviors nailed down, and he does not bridle his own tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. If you're the guy walking around being like, man, I've got it locked. I'm doing phenomenally well. I'm unbelievable. What are you doing, you jerk? You don't have it down, right? He's like, watch your tongue. Watch where you're going. Watch your speech. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And be careful. James is very specifically addressing the struggles that this group of Jewish believers was having. They were declaring a pharisaical success, but their mouth was train wrecking. And he's like, no, man, that's not it. Your tongue is going to be in place, and you're going to be caring for other people with your words. You're going to be slow to speak, not fast. Otherwise, that religion is worthless. It doesn't get anything accomplished in this world or for God's glory. It doesn't get it done. And he says, religion that is pure and undefiled before God and the Father is this. If you want to know what it looks like to have it locked down. Now, he's writing to this Jewish crew and he's giving them some guidance on some things they're struggling with. But he actually nails a broader set of categories here. He says, look, if you want to know what it looks like to lock it down, visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and keep himself unstained from the world. Visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction. Care for those in need. Give to those who are hurting. 
and they cannot give back to you. Be willing to sacrifice for others. And I'll go one step further. He's writing to a Jewish group of believers. And honestly, a lot of them had this thought. Man, if you're going through some financial heartache, maybe you did some sin wrong and God's bringing a punishment. And James is like, knock that view off. Get in there and care for them. They're hurting. This is a struggle. Are you willing to hurt with those around you? That's what it looks like to look more like Christ. Love the Lord your God, exalt him, and love your neighbor as yourself. Reach out to those in need. He's like, care for the fatherless and widows in their affliction. He's actually quoting here from Zechariah 7, 10, and he's bringing an Old Testament quote, and, and he's calling out for this organized structure of caring for needs around them. And uh, this is where we actually get the Z710 uh, organization that we run here. Whenever we have a call-in where there's a need or a problem, we fan out to the Z710 people and let them know we've got this hurt going on. We've got something going on in foster care that needs help. We've got, we'll fan that out and people will respond back right away and say, I'll help with that and jump in. And we use this Z710 network to care for any needs popping up in the moment where we can care for people and to visit the orphans and the widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. And yeah, keep your life cleaned up and walking tight and care for those around you. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. He's like, listen, man, we're called to do this walk. May we get it real. I'm just telling you, when you walk through this kind of passage, it's really easy to walk out going, so I got to do good works or I'm not saved. And that isn't at all what I said. Everybody say he didn't say that. I need a couple thousand witnesses that I did not say that, right? That is not what I'm saying. In fact, let's be really clear. Paul says this, you're wrestling with how to be saved. Here's the answer. You are saved by faith alone in Christ alone. And all of God's people said, Paul, super clear, how am I saved? Jesus lived it perfectly and none of us have. He is God Almighty. He has died for me. He has risen for me and I'm giving him my life. He's in charge, saved. James is answering another question. I'm saved. I'm gonna call it faith, but I'm just kind of listening and I'm not following through. Is that cool? James's answer, no. That's not cool, man. Start following through with your God and love on him. Give back a thank you offering. Are you saved? Yes, then celebrate that. With a little bit of growth and victory, may God get all the glory. I already am saved. My works are coming out because God is doing a changing work. And all of God's people said, man, don't miss this. We're in a legalistic world down here. I know that. It's so easy for us, right? You may have had huge legalistic upbringing. It is time to set that down and say, my good works do not save me. I am saved by Jesus Christ alone, and it is my faith alone. My faith will be so on fire that I will be giving back good works to him in a giant thank you offering. May God get all the glory. Lord, may I hear from you. I'm ready to listen. Lord, may my heart be shaped. I'm ready to be changed. Lord, may I exalt you with all I've got. May you get all the glory. And Lord, 
may I never call being a doer of the word when I just squeeze down and fake it and hold on with all I've got. Lord, may this not be my plan. I long to exalt you and see you do a supernatural surgery in my soul one moment at a time. And I will work with all I've got after that in thank you celebration. May you get all the glory. Good works do not save, but they are a great thank you to our King who has already saved you. And all of God's people said, let's be doers of the word as we exalt our King, as we find him in his word. Let's pray.